0: Thanks, Jenny. Morning, everyone. So, we have um, been, well, we started this year looking at the book of Haggai, looking at what it means to rebuild what, God, what is broken, rebuild as we respond to that ask and request of God to rebuild in our day, but, but reflecting particularly on, on what that means when that begins with us. How do we make space to head to the mountains? to hear the Holy Spirit um, respond to the shaping and changing of our Father and bring down some timber and build the church, build his kingdom. And if that work of transformation begins with us, we, throughout this series, wanted to present a bit of a guiding trellis around some key spiritual disciplines and practices for people to make some small, meaningful change in their life with a hope that isn't just about an internal journey of ongoing transformation, but actually that there's some outward contribution to rebuilding of a work of God that, yes, as we develop spiritual disciplines and practices, we grow in our own faith. But also there's something that God does and knits us together in community and starts to build in us in that moment as well. And so, yeah, over the next few weeks, we're going to be looking at some of these practices, um, just breaking down kind of what it looks like to develop a number of disciplines in our life. And today we're looking at this topic of prayer. We all know prayer is really important. I hope we all know that. Whether you're inside the church, or you're outside the church, whether are a Christian or non-Christian, kind of prayer actually is a quite a key part of life, A study done by the Church of England says a majority of 18 to 34-year-olds, 58%, have prayed at some point in their life. With a third, 32%, reporting they've prayed in the last month. Martin Luther says to be a Christian without prayer is no more possible than to be alive without breathing. And as we open the Bible, we see throughout the pages of the Bible, prayer and worship and praise um, worked through in every area and every space. We have the beautiful hymn book of Israel and Psalms where we see David pouring out his heart in prayer and praise through all sorts of different um, seasons of his life. He makes space. To pray, And as we look at the New Testament, we see Paul and the other apostles talking about prayer throughout their pastoral books. We see it in, um, let's start, we're just going to run through a few of these and then we're going to come back and centre on the Lord's Prayer and begin to work through that. So I'll run through some of these for you. So Ephesians 6 verse 18, and pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the Lord's people, this encouragement and instruction to pray in the Spirit and to pray for the people of God on all occasions. James 5, 13 to 16. Is anyone among you in trouble? Let them pray. Is anyone happy? Let them sing songs of praise. Is anyone among you sick? Let them call the elders for church to pray over them. And anoint them with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well. And the Lord will raise them up. And if they have sinned, they'll be forgiven. And therefore confess your sins to each other. Pray for each other so you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. Pray, Pray in times of trouble. Pray and praise God when you're happy. Pray when you're sick. Pray in faith. Confess your sins to each other and pray. And you'll receive that forgiveness. There's power in prayer. Philippians 4, 6-7. to Paul writes this. He says, Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts, and your minds. In Christ Jesus, kind of this worry about nothing, pray about everything, and receive this peace of God that will begin to transform your mind. And 1 Thessalonians 5.17, this simple request to pray without ceasing, this idea of an ongoing conversation in the day-to-day of our lives as prayer comes out of the temple, out of the holy places, and into the everyday grind of our worlds. There's this ongoing dialogue with God that we're instructed to walk in, to pray without ceasing. And as you look at the life of Jesus, you see him praying in the midst of, uh, I suppose one of the, the, the most trying and difficult period of his life as he gathered in that garden of Gethsemane to pray before he's arrested and taken to the cross. He pours out his heart before the Father, saying, take this cup from me, but I will do your will, and commits his life again in that moment to his Father in heaven. And as you look at the book of Acts, we see prayer right in the middle, in the center of the formation of the early church. They gather in the upper room and the Spirit came and the church was birthed and 3,000 people were saved. And we see in Acts um, chapters 3 and 4, Peter and John are going to pray. And as they go, the Spirit of God comes again and they start to preach the gospel and thousands again are saved. The power of prayer is really clear throughout the duration of that book. It is a part of the active formation of the church of God. The church of God was not founded on great strategy or wonderful, brilliant ideas. It was founded on the power of the Spirit poured out as people gathered to pray. And every move of God throughout history is catalyzed by prayer. And I say all this, and I'm sure most of you are pretty aware of the idea of prayer. How are you building it into a rule of life for you? How is prayer shaping you to become more like Jesus? How are you making space to go to the mountains to hear the voice of God? to allow prayer to form and shape and build, to knock off those rough edges and to birth something new and exciting within your heart and your life. Richard Foster says that the primary purpose of prayer is to bring us into such a life communion with the Father that by the power of the Spirit we are increasingly conformed to the image of the Son. It's a beautiful quote. And that is our hope with this idea of a rule of life that we are shaped into who and what we are meant to be. We are, we are formed into this image and this beautiful image of Jesus as we go on allowing that spirit to form us. Julian of Norwich says this, The whole reason why we pray is be united into the vision and contemplation of God to whom we pray. How are we developing a rule of life, both personally and corporately as a community, around this idea of prayer? We know we've got a few disciplines as a church. I use that word because I know it can provoke something in some of us a little bit. But we've got some disciplines as a church around this idea of prayer that we believe shapes us into a community that is centered on the presence of God and centered on Jesus. We have a default, at least I do, I have a default to drift to try and do some stuff in my own strength. We' have a default to kind of move and focus on our own agenda, maybe on the, of a strategy or a vision of a direction. And there's something around actually that discipline to pause and to pray that brings and centers us again on Jesus and what He is shaping us into as a community right here in Chichester. So a few of those kind of things for us as a community is that um, we've got an intercessory group that are praying in here in God and are meeting every other week, and that's really exciting. And encouraging, we've got morning prayer on Mondays, Wednesdays, Fridays, each morning to be able to gather and pause again and to pray. Just this last Wednesday, we hosted our monthly prayer meeting. We set aside some time to listen to the voice of God, to pray and contend together for the kingdom to come in our community. All of these things are part of what it means to discipline ourselves to be centered on Jesus and allow him to form what he wants to form in our lives. And then we've got our 24-7 prayer weeks. Again, we did this only a couple of weeks ago. Um, And these are moments throughout the year where we're able to pause, to slow down, to stop, to lay down our agenda and to say, God, come and speak to us, come and form us, come and shape us, come and guide us as we move forward. It's an opportunity to repent for where we have tried to do things in our own way. And again, to say, God, come and move in us, We want to build what you are calling us to build. We want to respond to your spirit. And then for me personally, I'm sure all of you can think of some ways that you are forming prayer into your life. For me personally, um, I love using the, the, some of the guides and resources that come out 24-7 that really help my own personal prayer walk in life. So I use Lectio 365 quite a lot, which is an app you can get on your phone. And I use also the Inner Room app, which has some really helpful, which again is from 24-7 Prayer, has some really helpful guides there that kind of, um, um, yes, but essentially guide you through kind of daily prayers. And for me, I love the element of lists on that. I love the discipline of setting aside my time to work that through. But for me as well, one of the things I love in my own personal prayer life is to walk and pray. Kind of, i did doing it this morning and for me that is where so much life is, in walking this town, walking this city and praying for this community, praying for the streets, praying for my neighbours and it's to walk and pray. I feel like at times I have too much energy to kind of sit still in a room and pray and I just love to walk or to run and to use that as my space to pray. And so I really just want to encourage you as we now look a little bit of the Lord's Prayer to be thinking through for yourself. What does that rule of life look like? What does it mean to develop a really healthy practice? That centres prayer at the real core of who you are. That allows you to be formed into that image of God as you pray. To have an understanding of what it means to be children of God as you pray. So let's look a little bit at the Lord's Prayer together. You'll see two different versions here in Matthew 6 and Luke 11. Um, and yeah, this is a prayer Let's, that, that, that Jesus told us to pray. And, and when the disciples asked, how do you pray? This is what Jesus said. So it's quite central and pretty important. We've already done it a little bit this morning, which is wonderful. Um, I'm just going to read this through. And at the end, we're going to finish by just praying this again together. So our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done. On earth as it is in heaven, give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil and as you heard this morning there's that kind of additional lines on there as well a lot of our modern translations don't add that in it's not in some of the earlier manuscripts but it's a little bit awkward just to end like that isn't it I think that's why I like the ending with the amen and all of that so we'll come to that and we'll pray the full thing later but um, yeah kind of in a lot of your bibles you might be wondering why on earth does it end like that and that's why because some of the original manuscripts did not have the ending and some did Jesus' disciples asked him, how do you pray? And this is what Jesus taught them. I sometimes wonder, well, why were they asking him that? Well, I think they'd seen the life that Jesus lived. They were seeing the authority by which he walked, the humility in how he served. They saw the kingdom power that he carried. And he said, teach us. How to pray. And I believe as we begin to build something like this, our Lord's Prayer, this kingdom prayer at the very center of who we are as a community and as individuals, that we will um, be shaped into what it means to be, a chi- to be a child of God. So let's just walk through a little bit line by line. So, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. This line reminds us of our place. In the universe, it relocates us. We aren't so important, <laughs> but equally, we're not unimportant. <laughs> We've got a father in heaven, it helps to relocate us. And, and it's often assumed that kind of this use of father in this passage is really unique to Jesus. That's sometimes what we're taught. It actually wasn't. Um, it, other people have used this word father, this word Abba father, um, but it is significant. And I think we find some of that significance in a first century context. I believe Jesus chose that word very deliberately. A good biblical principle is often to look at the first mention or reference to this idea of God being a father in the Bible. So if we start to do that, we, we actually walk all the way back to the story of Moses. Moses um, is being sort of delegated by God as a a, um, leader of the people of Israel. And they're enslaved in Egypt under this this terrible empire. And and, and in this moment, Moses goes into the um, court of Pharaoh to make a bold and big claim. And this is where we see that first reference to God being a father. Exodus 4, verse 22. Then say to Pharaoh, this is what the Lord says. Israel is my firstborn son. It was this moment and declaration that these people were not only slaves, but they were now sons and daughters of the king of kings. And he had come to bring them into freedom. So calling God father was to hold on to this ancient truth that slaves would be children for there was liberty and there was freedom found in God. And Jesus, he teaches prayer, he is preparing the people of Israel for a new exodus, that they are going to be free at last, that the the slavery around them, the slavery of sin, sickness, death, and the empire, the Roman empire that enslaved them and, 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 and was ruling over them would come to an end. And Jesus starts his prayer in this way, inviting the people to see him as see God as father, inviting them to see the intimacy with God that they now had, but also to believe that they were called into revolutionary freedom. The sons and daughters of the King of Kings were free. And we get to identify as children of God. And therefore we get to enjoy the freedom of what it means to be children. And as we enter prayer in this way, we're aligning ourselves with Christ. And approaching God, saying, Father, can I too learn what it means to follow you? There's a holy boldness around approaching God this way. It's an act of faith. we approach prayer in this way, we, we, we do what Tom Wright says, step into our holy vocation our role, what we are called and made and shaped for, to be a children shining in the midst of darkness. The invitation there is to present ourselves, sorry, is to be present in the world despite the pain, despite the darkness, despite the sin that we see in our lives and we see in culture around us, and to kneel in the presence of a father and whisper, our father who is in heaven, holy is your name is to pray and believe this ancient promise that he will free the world from injustice and sin. And that victory that he bought on the cross will be outworked through our lives and into our world. There's a boldness to hold onto that promise, our Father who is in heaven, holy is your name. And it links so well with the second part of this prayer, the second petition here, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Roger already has kind of invited us this morning to pray this prayer to allow this kingdom of heaven to saturate our world, to to form our lives, to grow and to build and and, and to, to continue to stand the place where we're saying your kingdom come, your will be done. On earth as it is in heaven. Now, Jesus' followers, I don't think thought that this prayer was simply a new piece of religious liturgy or a nice piece of religious advice. That would lead them to maybe a better moral code or a nicer way of living. I don't think they saw it as a helpful rule of life. It would elevate them to some individual kind of higher level of spirituality where I feel really close to God. I think they held a much more dangerous claim. They were declaring that the kingdom of God would come on this earth. And that meant the end to the kingdom of God of this world, the end of the kingdom of darkness, the end of sickness, pain and suffering. They were declaring and they began to live and posture their life for the fulfillment of that prayer. They would see the kingdom of God increase in their life. They believed that through the death and the resurrection of Jesus, the whole world had been turned upside down. That the kingdom was here as we see Jesus proclaiming over and over and over again. The kingdom of God is here. The kingdom of God is here. And it looked a little bit different from what they imagined. But they believed that darkness had been defeated by light. And as they prayed this prayer, it wasn't just about an individual growth or change in them. But they believed that this prayer for the kingdom of God to come. It was going to affect their work lives, their nine-to-fives. It was going to affect their home lives. It's going to affect their neighbourhoods and their marriages. It was going to affect all of them. And it helped them to engage with the pain and the suffering of the world. Helped them to understand what was being outworked through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. That God had made the world good, but it is not yet how God intended it. And there is pain and there is suffering, there is sickness, there is death. But their posture and our posture is to work and to pray and believe that God is healing and mending. They didn't say, oh, no, no, this prayer was just about improved moral code. It's a bit of religious liturgy. They went on standing in the midst of suffering, in the midst of pain, saying, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. They had a hope and a belief that what Jesus died on the cross would be implemented through their lives as the world is healed. And so praying this prayer in our life today looks like seeing the world as Jesus sees it. Seeing it with the love of a creator. Not creating a sort of secular, sacred divide, but instead seeing God's kingdom impacting all areas of life. And empowering us to live as whole life disciples. We're invited to pray as Jesus prayed. And act as Jesus acted. To live and to give our lives for the redemption of the world. For the uprooting of sin. For heaven and earth to join together. To believe that his kingdom will come. That his will will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And we pray this as a church. Believing that we can be a community. That is the first fruits of that. That as we live and love and let justice, peace and forgiveness reign in our midst, that we would be the first fruits of what it means to see this impact our world. Make us a wonderful orchestra that plays the kingdom music of heaven wherever we go. And the next part of that prayer is give us today our daily bread. This is maybe even a really comfortable part of prayer for you. Well, the uncomfortable part of prayer. I think we probably will fall both on that. Maybe this is at least the area that we will go to quite quickly. We're aware of the urgent needs in our life, or at least our wants. And we approach God quite quickly with that list. And I think Jesus builds this right at the heart of his kingdom prayer because that's really important. It shouldn't be shunned or seen as something evil. He's talking about the bread of life. He's referencing this idea that God will sustain us, that we are, we're called to invite and ask God for more of him, more of Jesus in our lives. But he's also inviting us to see that Jesus and God are involved in the very basic needs and details of our life. There's nothing too ordinary for God that we're invited to approach him as a child. And again, he takes prayer out of the temple and into the common everyday places of life saying invite God into those basic needs. And there's also another connection. It's, again, it's that story of Exodus. God provides manna in the desert, this bread from heaven for the people to eat. And he gives it to them every day. It doesn't last more than a day. It goes off after a day. Each day they have to trust God again for fresh manna. So as we pray this prayer, this request for the basic needs of our life, in the context of the Lord's Prayer, I believe it also becomes a prayer of contentment. Give us enough for today. In a world of excess, it's counterculturally pulls. this counterculturally pulls against our desire for ambition, our need to be great and to be successful, to be wealthy and to have it all and to have it all together. The invitation from Jesus. Is simply to find that contentment in him, in our daily bread, in his life. And then we move on to forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. As we prayed earlier, I I think we prayed this version earlier, but um, often you'll see this as sins, so we forgive forgive, forgive those who sin against us. I think for me this just is a really helpful reminder that a key part of what it means to be human is imperfection. <laughs> that I sit in the midst of imperfection. I find it really easy to see the imperfection in, 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 in everyone else, <laughs> in you. <laughs> I find it harder at times to see it in me. <laughs> Maybe you're the other way around. Maybe you see the imperfection in me, but I find it hard to see it in your life. Or, yeah, that's the same way around, isn't it? Yeah, you know what I meant. Maybe for some of us, we realise and see the imperfection in our hearts and in our lives, but we think everyone else has got it all together. (laughs) Everyone else has got it all together. And just as the world is not perfected, so am I. So are we as a church, as a community. And as we pray this part of a prayer, again, we're learning what it means to rest in the imperfection, accepting the forgiveness of God and extending it to others. There's something very life-giving, isn't there, about looking in the mirror, accepting our imperfection, and at the same time, committing our lives to Jesus. He's transforming us into his image, receiving that forgiveness in our hearts and our lives. And As a church, we're going to be again as at the forefront of what it means to usher in this great act of forgiveness. That the kingdom of God is filled with love and justice and mercy. It is a place where, the, where freedom of God reigns and forgiveness of God reigns. And as we pray this prayer, we are pioneering what it means to live that way. To extend forgiveness to the world around us. And then finally, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil or from the evil one. This part of a prayer, like the rest, is deeply rooted in that first century context of Israel. That word here is a word for testing or tribulation. Jesus, I believe, can see what all of history is moving towards. His death and his resurrection and the birth of a new age. Jesus knew that he's gonna to have to go through the testing and tribulation as he lays down his life on the cross. And so we can approach and pray this prayer with boldness and confidence, knowing Jesus has met with the powers of evil and defeated them. And through this prayer, Jesus asks us to recognize and identify that there is real evil that there is real pain, that there is injustice. It's not over there. It's not someone else's problem. It's right here in our lives, in our hearts, in our world. But he invites us to recognize that and then to confront it with the announcements of the kingdom of God. We're to recognize the reality of evil, but Jesus victory over it. And it's not to assume God takes us out of difficulty, but he saves us as we stand in the middle of it. As we head to that point of most pain, God is with us in it. It is an invitation each day to enter the pain of our worlds and to announce that Jesus has won the victory, that the kingdom of God is coming, the world will be delivered from evil, and we can be a part of bringing in that kingdom at last. Again, it's to posture our lives, not in fear of evil, not separated from evil, but instead actually saying, I believe God is going to deliver us from evil. He's going to be with us in that point of pain, in that challenge, in that difficulty. And in that place, again, announcing that the kingdom has won the victory. So I'd love us to pray this prayer together. And maybe you, maybe some of this has prompted some thoughts around how you can incorporate this as part of your prayer rhythms and patterns. Andrea before showed me her necklace where she's got this prayer written on her necklace to remind her about praying this as a central part of her life. I really want to encourage you to be thinking through how can you um, be formed into that image of Jesus through prayer? and maybe using the movements and patterns of a Lord's Prayer that could lead you close to Jesus? Could you use that format of a Lord's Prayer to walk in the boldness of what it means to be a child of God? Walking in that vocation as a free people. Could you pray the kingdom of God would come in our world? Would fill every area and aspect of our lives, from our Sundays right through to our Fridays. Can we see that the prayer, this kingdom prayer, is so central to who we are? Can we see that seeds form and grow and become that beautiful plant? Can we see that outworked in our life? Can we pray that prayer of petition? saying, God, I have some real needs in my life, but also I want to pray a prayer of contentment. And can we rest in our imperfection, recognising that as we understand that, we're able to accept this forgiveness and to extend forgiveness to our world. And finally, can we pray this prayer of boldness, saying that when I'm surrounded by challenges and troubles, I know that God is with me in the midst of it and will deliver me from evil. Maybe we could stand to our feet. i we'll love to get the band back up. To We're going to go into a song of worship. But I'd love us just to pray this prayer together. When we did it earlier, it was wonderful. <laughs> but it wasn't a lot of volume. I feel like we were focusing a lot on the signs, weren't we? At least I was. (laughs) Trying to at least, can't use my mouth and my hands at the same time. Too hard for me. So maybe this time I'd love us to, to pray this prayer at a higher volume. To pray it together as community. To declare that we would be formed by the King's prayer. So let's pray together. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Not in temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom, the power, and